Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Show. If you ever wanted to get into commercial property but don't know how to, this is the show for you. We're going to take you through live market updates, how to put a deal together, what the experts say about commercial property and real life investor journeys and how they became financially free through commercial property. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Commercial property due diligence. When you're starting out and you're buying your first commercial property, and you put the property under contract and you think to yourself, all right, so now what? What is the next step? What do I do now to make sure that whatever I've been presented on paper, so you might have had an information memorandum, a contract, a lease, maybe a few bits and pieces of outgoings been presented to you as part of the sales process, and you've negotiated a purchase price and some terms for finance and due diligence, and now you don't know what to do. Uh, So now it's about putting the pieces together. This is where the rubber hits the road. And for me, one of the most exciting times when you buy a property, it's actually getting to know your property from the beginning to the end, to actually get a really in-depth knowledge of what you are buying and seeing what are the pitfalls that may happen in the next 12, 24 or five years from now. Um, And it is also about understanding the property, whether you go and see the property or not, it's irrelevant. It's about understanding how and what makes that property work and what might happen in the future. So in order to start due diligence, let's start from the beginning. So how would you start something where you have some outgoings, you have a lease and you have a contract and you have an information memorandum? So the most important thing to remember is that the information memorandum is a brochure. It's not legally binding. It's an information brochure that's often taken from the lease and from what the vendor has told uh, the agent and from photos that the agents have taken of the property. So it's not binding. It's just an information flyer. And most of the time, I wouldn't say you know 90% of the time, but certainly 30, 40% of the time, uh, sometimes even up to 50% of the time, depending on how much, uh, how many of this information memorandum you look at are wrong. There's either the lease uh, period is wrong or information about the tenant is wrong or the current rent is wrong. So there's a lot of information that you need to actually verify and you need to make sure that the lease, which is the legally binding document, is actually matches up to what you're buying. So let's put the information memorandum aside. Now that you're under contract and we're looking at uh, the lease itself. So then the first thing you need to do is read that lease from page to page. So from the beginning right to the end. Now there's lots of standard clauses. So if you get confused about things about make good, about things about defaults and about um, clauses under uh, how rent review are done and market reviews, these are all standard clauses. So if you find them in one contract or lease, you will find them in another. So if you want to read two or three of them just as a comparison from other properties you looked at, then that's that's a good reference point. But a lot of these are very standard clauses. What you are looking for in the lease itself is firstly rental incentives. Um, so any incentives has been given to your client to get them into the property. So there might have been rent free. There might have been some fit out. There might have been you know maybe some exemptions on outgoings. Um, perhaps there were some contributions the vendor made to the actual tenant to make sure that they've done the fit out properly or that they've actually done the fit out and you want to make sure that's already been used up Um, especially or if it hasn't been and you're buying a brand new property that who is actually paying for that whether it's you or whether it's the previous vendor so you want to make sure that's the number one thing to cover off Um, and also if there's rent free period has that been used up or is that to be used up and is that your 
cost or is it at the vendor's cost? So these are the things to to actually note. Um, secondly, to look at the rent increases. So is it a 3%? Is it a CPI? Is it CPI plus 1%? Or is it market review every time every year? Or is it a flat rate um, of 4 or 5%? Or is it based on something else? So there's many, many varieties of it. And normally your tenant gets to choose one or it's been negotiated as one. So it could either be a fit, fix, which could be a 2 or 3 or 4 or 5%. Uh, it could be a CPI consumer price index and if it's a cpi it's usually of the largest town so if you're in regional new south wales it's sydney if you're regional queensland it's brisbane if you're regional victoria it's melbourne so that's where the cpi um, is that they're pegged against and cpi for me a general rule of thumb i use about two percent in my calculations but you have to check it every time but for you just as a ballpark figure that's what i look at um, then you look at how the rent uh, review is done. So each year, if there's a rent review, it's automatically it happens and it should happen at the anniversary of your lease. So just make sure, and most of the time that's the case, but just double check that because it can be, it can vary. Uh, the other thing is to look at market review. How is market review done? Usually there's a standard practice, but sometimes if the negotiations were long and the particular type of tenants, they might want to be done a certain way. So you just want to make sure and become aware of it and then finally number three things to look at in the lease is actually your obligation so not only about what the tenant is doing obviously the tenant has right to the premise they have right to fit out the premise the way they like they have a right to occupy the premise and enjoy quiet enjoyment and get on with their business but also what are your obligations as a landlord is really really important because you as a landlord maybe depending on the type of tenant have to be responsible for say maintaining maintaining the air conditioning or maybe maintaining the garden making sure that you know they have ample parking spaces or just making sure that they've got the right power and electricity and to make sure that they don't have any outages in terms of the internet or or their um, IT functions and I've seen that in different leases depending on the type of tenant so usually the greater and larger more branded tenant that you get the more stricter and fine print there is on the actual lease and the more mum and dad type of tenant the more all-encompassing the lease is that the tenant is going to take care of all things and you as the landlord don't need to so you really need to look at that and look at your obligations as the landlord and going forward so that you know and so those are the top three things and then finally one of the things I look at is when do you tenant exercise the option so usually your lease will go for two three five years or maybe longer or seven years or ten years it doesn't matter how long the lease goes for ultimately it comes to a time where your tenant have to renew the lease or take up their option like I like to call it so when they take up the option we want to know what that process is do they give you notice three months in uh, as in three months to the end of their lease or is it six months or is it nine months so that means when can you approach the tenant to ask them if they want to take up the other option and also what is the process so does it need to be a formalized process through the solicitor or can it be a process that can be through their uh, through just you sending them an email or through the agent as well so you need to understand become familiar with that process so that wraps up the basics that you need to do about the lease of course you can get the lease reviewed by your solicitor but it's important for you yourself to be able to have this understand it and be able to review it now finally the last piece of a lease is to look at any special conditions or anything that is 
unusual which means you know you, you might be asking yourself well i don't know what i don't know so what am i looking at well normally if there is a special clause in the lease or is a special conditions in the lease that is usually added to the end of the lease um, because the lease has a general format general template that most solicitors work with um, and they don't really want to mess up the the, the format or um, so what they normally do is add it to the end of the lease or they add, add it up or added into certain paragraphs but they usually use a subtitle or a subheading so what you're looking for you're scanning for those things and if it's at the end of the lease usually it's a special condition and then the lease they will talk about anything that you have to do so these are things that are not covered by the lease so this might mean that you have to provide say access way for a truck um, say for your premise if you have a warehouse or that the tenant needs to have access to a special um, storage area or that the tenant has a um, particular type of parking or things like that will normally be listed at the end of your lease if it's not during the lease um, so these are the types of things you need to look at and mark down so you because that is part of your landlord obligations so that when you assessing the lease other things you're looking for so once you have those things done and you've listed those things now you have a general understanding of what the tenant needs to do what you need to do to have a good relationship moving forward so that's the formal part of it over the next section of it is to actually look at the outgoings, look at the property itself, and look at the tenant history. So those things are broken up in a little bit differently, and I like to call them the three steps. So you've got the one step where it's your statutory and mandatory outgoings. So these are your rates notice, your water notice, anything to do with electricity. It doesn't matter if you're paying it or the tenant's paying it. So all of those mandatory things you want to get a handle on. So your insurance, your um, your electricity, water, say sewerage and rates notice. If you're a part of a strata, then you know maybe your sinking and admin fund. If you're not part of a strata, then your insurance and your rates. And what you need to do is work out from the lease, and there's the outgoing section you need to look at. So there is two sections in the lease. Firstly, the definition section where they define what's an outgoing. And secondly, there is an outgoing section to say who is paying for the outgoings. And you need to work out from all the statutory compulsory ones what your tenant is paying and what you're paying. Now, your tenant can be paying 100% of everything, which means that everything we've just listed, they're paying for. So you then need to find out from the current owner or the managing agent how they're paying for that. Are they paying on a monthly basis? So they're breaking up all of the outgoings and paying a set amount each month, or they're paying it as it comes. So you know how are these expenses covered because you don't want to be in rears in this because ultimately you're the landlord. And if your tenant becomes in arrears of any of these mandatory compulsory payments, then you have to be liable for them. So in reality, what I do is I actually pay for these mandatory um, statutory um payment so the rates notice insurance and then i build the tenants because at the end of the day it is my building and i want to make sure these things are paid on time but the agent might manage it differently the tenant may have been doing things for years that are different and you want to find that out so that's the compulsory bit of it and in order for you to get more information the compulsory bit of it you get it from the agent if the agent's not giving it to me to you then you need to get it through the your solicitor so that's a compulsory secondly i want to look at things that are compliance based so the second thing i look at is compliance so what is compliant compliance means is the building fire compliant asbestos 
uh, and anything to do with electricals and plumbing. So uh, the first thing I look at is, is if you're buying a property, if it's strata, they will, they will produce an asbestos register or a report and let you know whether there is asbestos or not. If you're buying a freestanding building, you'll need to ask about asbestos in the property. And it may mean you need to send in someone to inspect the property. So it's one of your costs as part of buying the property. So asbestos. I want to look at compliance in terms of fire. So fire compliance, a lot of buildings aren't fire compliant or haven't been brought up to the latest fire compliance, which means you might have to fire, send in a company, a private company, who does fire compliant and produce a report. Again, that is at your own cost, part of your doing due diligence. But if you're buying a freestanding building, absolutely. So the compliance of fire is one of the most important things in, in different states vary. So either it's a fire certificate or fire register so the fire certificate is about getting a uh, so to make sure that the building is compliant with fire so that's checking for not only like you think smoke alarms but the fact that you know you've got things in the actual building or anything that's been upgraded any of the structures all of those things in terms of even uh, firewalls all of those things that need to be compliant so that's what these companies do and that's what you need to make sure that you're getting a compliant building if not you need to go back to the vendor and ask them to bring the building up to code to be compliant so that's really important the other thing is to look at let and plumbing most of the time that is fine but say that you have a tenant in there and they're in the cold storage business and if they're in the cold storage business they will need a certain type of electricity and certain type of meter to make sure there's enough electricity there that they're not blowing out the whole complex and they're not um, drawing you know uh, power from the grid that is actually going to uh, cause adverse effect for your neighbours. So you need to make sure that that's been compliant, and that there is uh, they've had they've had proper uh, electrician come out and upgrade that system. And if it's so, how long ago was that upgraded? So that's worth checking. Uh, and then following on from there, obviously you want to check the plumbing. You want to make sure that it's all the waterworks works and everything else. So I mean, you might have a tenant who are in that area, and that's what they do. So you want to make sure that that also works. That's much minor to compare to the asbestos and the fire and the electricals but it is worth checking it out so that's your compliance section of it and then finally we get to the third section which for me is the miscellaneous section the bit where it's actually about understanding the tenant so this bit doesn't isn't a set in stone bit when I talk about miscellaneous doesn't mean it's any less important it's just not set in stone how you do this research whereas all the others you need to seek other companies or other professionals to come out and you may need to pay for reports when we come to the last bit we're looking at the tenant and the tenant history that has a lot to do with firstly your time firstly how much in-depth you want to get into it and how much information is generally out there well the number one thing is you know the company your, ten your tenants company so worthwhile to do an ASIC search or Google them to find out if they're still trading. Um, secondly, uh, check the ABN, check the ACN to make sure that the property um, with the tenant in there, the tenant is operating on, uh, and still solvent. So these are just basic things you could ask your, your accountant or you can ask your solicitor to do. Following on from that, obviously look at their website, look at what else is around that may be competition for them or like kind of businesses that are synergy to them. Look where their customers are coming from. Look at if they need parking, um, traffic flow how many people are in their business you can do a lot of research about them and the area of the property that you're buying and if that fits the business uh, while you're actually remote from the 
the actual property if you want to go and visit the property then obviously when you visit the property it's worthwhile to find out a little bit more about the business so you can talk to the agent about the business and if you can get there before the agent actually gets there or stay a little bit longer then you can go preferably talk to the tenant and if the tenant's a retail business or the tenant has a business that you can actually use or use their services that's even better because what you can do is actually go there as a customer so if they're if you're buying a cafe uh, then you might want to go and get your get a coffee there have a meal there check them out if they're like mechanics you might want to get your car serviced I mean if you're a dentist people have a clean I've had clients who do all sorts of things to find out a little bit more about their their tenants so that's the important bit is to go and find out a little bit more about the tenant if you can be a customer that's good if not then you know if they're an accountant or solicitor and obviously not using their services then it's worthwhile just to go in and find out a little bit more about what they do uh, how many staff they have any expansions plans they have um, does the premise suit them is there places to grow into all of these things that can be covered off during your site inspection as well as just talking to the to the tenant as well so all worthwhile uh, sometimes we've had our clients call the tenant, uh, but it is something that uh, is worthwhile you doing yourself so that you get a bit more understanding of what your tenant actually does. So this way, you know that what's going to happen in three years or five years time when the leases come up, are they likely to stay, are they likely to renew, or are they likely to re, yeah, renegotiate the rent, etc. So it's making the best of your guesstimate of what's going to happen with the tenant. I mean, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict what's going to happen in the future, but as you do your due diligence, to find out as much as you can about the tenant, their history, why they're in that premise, where do they come from, and to find out are they happy, most of all, are they happy in that premise. Because if they're not happy in that premise, then obviously they're going to want to leave that premise and find somewhere else. And if there are teething issues that they had with the previous vendor, you want to solve them. So, you know, one of the things to ask our tenants, and we always do this in our inspections, is uh, what are you not happy about? Um, has there been any issues with the building that you're not happy about? Has there been any issues between you and the previous vendor that you're not happy about? What can we fix? What can we do for you? So we come from an area where we want to do something for the tenant. We want to give before we take. So often the tenants, when they hear that, would say, look, you know, I've had the air conditioning that's leaked you know, ever since we've been here. The, the vendor never replaced it. And you work out that, okay, in the scheme of things, it's $2,000. I'm going to replace the air con and then I've got a happy tenant. So you want to tick off all the things. And one of the things we find that so great when you do an inspection or even just talking to tenants that they're always happy to tell you about their gripes. They're not so much going to tell you that they're totally happy there, but they will tell you definitely about their gripes. So this is one of the things that you, you need to uh, really hone in on because that's going to start building that relationship. If you fix all the things they're unhappy about, they will actually become a much, much better tenant in the future. So remember, as you're looking through the due diligence for the properties, you've got three segments so the first one is about understanding the compliance and the mandatory things you have so the mandatory statutory outgoings secondly we'll look at the compliance is it compliant and all the fire uh, safety and the building safety of the property and thirdly we'll look at anything that's outstanding in miscellaneous which is about the actual tenant so you can spend a lot of time researching and understanding your tenant and that's all on your own time the other things you will need to involve other people in so i always knock over the first two first because they're 
they will require some time to turn around because agents will take a while to get things back to you. Um, um, if you go and get some another company come through, they'll have to go through their timeline. Or if you needed to get a new report done, they usually typically take may take a week or 10 days. So they're relying on other people, whereas you can do a lot of client research and tenant research in the back end. So you want to find out as much as you can. So always use your tenant services if you can, just so that you understand them more. Try to talk to your tenants if you can. If you can't and you have a landlord who won't let you, or I mean a vendor who won't let you, then there's lots of other ways to be able to find out more information about your about your tenant. So the main thing is that you understand by the end of the due diligence period how the lease works, how you're going to work going forward with your your tenant in reality and whether everything else is compliant about the property. And at the end of the day, you make a decision. You don't make a decision when you first get your first lot of due diligence in. You make a decision once you get everything in and you make on the balance of probability whether you want to go ahead with this property or not. So get all your facts first before you jump to conclusions and based on your comfortability level and whether you can sleep or not and at the end of the day what kind of cash flow in the at the front end or growth in the back end you're going to get from this property and then you make the final decision yes I'm going to go ahead with this property or no I'm not this is not the right one for me for whatever reason and then you provide the valid reason for either moving ahead or pulling out of the contract so I hope this podcast has been helpful for you to understand how to totally do due diligence from beginning to end but like always it is each property is different each tenant is different and there might be some tweaks to that that are individual to that property or that industry that may you may need to understand as part of your due diligence process and if that's the case and you're confused and you want some a hand and you want to reach out to us find me at helentarrant.com or helen at commercial property cashflow.com.au reach out to me more than help more than happy to help you on your journey and thank you and see you in the next podcast you've been listening to commercial property investor show tune into the next episode to find out how you too can replace your work income with passive income through commercial property